So in all seriousness and joy, I'm thrilled to get to look at Hebrews 4 uh, with you this morning. I've been soaking in this passage since this past summer, uh, with today's date kind of looming in the future. Um, and now it's here. Uh, it's, coming to, it's been coming down the, part, down the pipeline, equal parts nerves and excitement, um, which I'm sure you can all relate to. Uh, and now it is today which, as you may have noticed, is one of the key words in our chapter. Um, So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And let's pray to that end. Lord, thank you for bringing us safely here this morning. And for those who are not here, Lord, would you give them your peace and strength for the day ahead? Today, Lord, we come to your word with humility and approach you confidently by the blood of Jesus. Today, as we hear your your voice in Scripture, give us soft hearts of understanding, application, transformation, and worship. You do not leave us unchanged as we encounter the living God through your living word. And I pray for myself, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. One of my favorite quotes of all time. Is from Charles Spurgeon, from a sermon on God's unchanging nature, or his immutability. And you can close your eyes and listen if you'd like. It's a delightful one. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go, plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. It is to that subject that I invite you this morning. I'm agreeing with Charles this morning. Uh, Whatever is happening in your life today, I invite you to fix your eyes on Jesus as we learn about his invitation to rest for our souls. Uh, previously, not last week, which was the first Thursday, but the week before, we were in chapter 3, and Kelly highlighted for us that Jesus is better than Moses, so hold fast to him. Chapter 3 ends in the midst of a warning to not abandon the faith, to hold fast to Jesus in faith and obedience. God kept his word to the Israelites who rejected his truth, and consequently they could not enter God's rest. Chapter 4 continues in that warning and will bring us good news to see how God allows believers to enter his rest. We don't get stuck in the warning. Spoiler alert, it's possible, and it's not by our own doing. In our intro to Hebrews, Adrian gave us the main point of the book as a whole, that don't abandon Jesus because Jesus is better. And we've seen this playing out in the last three chapters, and here we have it again in chapter 4. The main idea of chapter 4. God promises rest to those who believe through Jesus, our great high priest. God promises rest to those who believe through Jesus, our great high priest. And we'll look at the passage in two big sections. Um, So our first section, God promises rest to those who believe. That's verses 1 through 11. And we'll have a part A and a part B. So if you're keeping notes and you like outlines, 
shift over a little bit, and there's your A. God keeps his word, verses 1 through 5. God keeps his word. And then part B, so believe and enter his rest. That's 6 through 11. And then our second big chunk, we'll look at through Jesus, our great high priest. That's verses 12 through 16. So this is number two, through Jesus, our great high priest. Actually, I'll go this way. Verses 12 through 16. Drop down a little bit. Here's your A. God's word is alive and exposes our need. God's word is alive and exposes our need. Verses 11 through 13. And then part B. Jesus, our great high priest, is our only hope to enter God's rest. And that's 14 through 16. Looking at section one. God promises rest to those who believe. God keeps his word. Like, uh, you can open your Bible to Hebrews 4. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. God keeps his word. I struggled at first with the back and forthness of this section. Um, The perfectionist in me wanted to camp out on the warning to not fail, Uh, which is another way of saying to myself, stay in control, Bethany. You can handle this. You can be good enough to earn God's rest. And that is the opposite of faith. Um, It is, in fact, pride. It's an idol of the heart, of my heart, an idol of self-seeking, just like the Israelites in the wilderness, whose obedience and lack of faith resulted in death in exile. They did not enter the promised land physically. They did not enter God's rest spiritually. And if we take a step back and look at the contrast, we can see two outcomes in this section. So you can visualize with me. We're going to have a little, let's see, left to right. little section here, and then we're going to have a section here. And these are two different hearers. So on this side, in verse 1, we see um, God's promise contrasted to man's ability. Drop down a little bit. God's promise still stands. Man's ability falls short. God's promise still stands to those who hear and obey. Man's ability falls short to those who hear and disobey. Keep building on the sentence. God's promise still stands to those who hear and obey. The gospel is good news. And over here, man's ability falls short Those who hear, to those who hear and disobey. The gospel has no value. So we see kind of these alternate, um, these two different kinds of hearers. We have the one who hears God's word, and it's good news to them. They hear it and they obey. And we have those who hear and disobey, and the gospel has no value. 
can be kind of hard to swallow. This is the God who keeps his word. Um, This is our our covenant-making, promise-keeping, sin-forgiving God. God who described himself to Moses as the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is the God who says in Isaiah fifty-five eleven, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Because God keeps his word, we can trust him, have faith, believe that God's word is true, and will come to bear in your life for the purpose for which he sent it. What he says, he will do. We can keep the faith, as we've been urged to throughout Hebrews. We can keep the faith because God keeps his word. How do we know this? He reinforces his word with the most powerful thing. His word. Um, in, in chapter 4, we see multiple examples from the Old Testament. So we're, we're hanging out in the New Testament here in Hebrews. And then we get to look back and we read in Psalm 95, like we did um, at our tables today. And Psalm 95 is hearkening back to Exodus and saying, Remember everything I did for Israel. Um, calling that to mind and now quoting that in the New Testament. We're recalling God's work and his rest at creation. We see that he rested on the seventh day. And in a bit, we'll see reference to Old Testament men of faith, David and Joshua. And this is all in support of God's point that the God of the Old Testament is the very same God of the New Testament. And he still offers rest to those who believe. And he offers it today. It's not a storied thing of the past. It's real. It's present. And it's available to those who believe. This brings us to part B. So believe and enter his rest. Look at verses 6 through 11. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So we see that rest is still possible to enter, but how? We're told how not to enter, which is by disobedience. We're also told that we have today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We need soft hearts in order to hear the gospel and obey. When we're honest with ourselves, when I'm honest with myself, I see that I need that daily reminder today When I remember the truth, or when a friend reminds me of the truth, will I walk in obedience? 
Will I listen to his voice? Or will I harden my heart and seek my own pleasures? Consider what type of hearer you are. We had our two things over here, those that hear God's word, they hear the gospel, and to them it is good news. And then those who hear and disobey, and the gospel has no value. We're going to add one more to that. So we get down here. Let me bring this with me. So we have God's promise contrasted to man's ability. God's promise still stands to those who obey. The gospel is good news. Verse 6, they enter God's rest. And the opposite, over here we have man's ability falls short. To those who hear and disobey, the gospel has no value, and they never enter God's rest. These are either sobering or joy-filled statements, depending on whether you believe in your own ability or in God's promise. Let's recap where we've been so far. The main idea is that God promises rest to those who believe through Jesus, our great high priest. We looked at part one. God promises rest to those who believe. God keeps his word, so believe and enter his rest. Now we'll look at part two. Through Jesus, our great high priest, verses 12 through 16. Part A, God's word is alive and exposes our need. This is the section that made me squirm a little bit in the best possible way. Let's look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Verse 12 shows us that the living and active word of God addresses every area of our lives. We see uh, the division of soul and spirit. That's our, our spiritual side. We see the physical represented by joints and marrow. And we see the emotional, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Our creator is attuned to every aspect of his creation. And he cares about every aspect of our lives, desiring for our faith and obedience in every area. Obedience and trust are hard work. It's not natural as a human to submit and give up control. Just ask a toddler. Um, We're told that no creature is hidden from his sight, and everything is naked and exposed. That is not comfortable. Like, I want to be sanctified, but not naked and exposed. Um, And it's interesting how often that naked exposure is the very thing that grows our desire for, uh, our desire and delight in God's will. This idea of naked exposure reminds me of a boy named Eustace in C.S. Lewis's Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Eustace is a bully 
He's selfish. He's an all-around annoying kind of character. Partway through this story, Eustace separates himself from the group and comes upon a dragon's lair. He is greedy for treasure and for power. And we are told that sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, he had become a dragon himself. Eustace, upon realizing what happened, became desperate to be free from his dragon prison. He found that no matter how many layers of dragon skins he managed to peel off himself, he was still a dragon. Then he encountered the lion Aslan. Aslan said to him, You will have to let me undress you. Eustace recounts, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay down flat on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sore place. It hurts like Billy. Oh, but such fun to see it coming away. Eustace continues. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, and there was I as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. Like Eustace, we are needy, and exposed, we're desperate for change, we're desperate to let go of those things that are holding us down and burdening us and causing us to be who we don't want to be. What is our hope to shed our dragon skin, to be free from foolish pride, selfish gain, isolation, To be free from the pain and destruction that comes from thinking we can handle it on our own and somehow gain relief. How do we find rest? This is the exciting part. Part B. Jesus, our great high priest, is our only hope to enter God's rest. Jesus, our great high priest, is our only hope to enter God's rest. at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is the better priest. It's the better word, the better sacrifice. This is the gospel. 
This is what we cannot accomplish for ourselves. Only Jesus, our perfect high priest, who became the perfect sacrifice in our place, could make a way for us to know God and to know his rest. To draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. We're invited and welcomed. We can come, um, as one dear friend from our table remarked, we can come boldly boldly needy to the throne of grace. We receive his mercy. We find grace to help in time of need. This is our confession. This is what we make every effort to hold to. We're not striving for rest. We are coming confidently and needy before the throne. We are met with grace. We're met with rest. In John 6, Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's this type of spiritual transformation that prompted Peter to respond to Jesus saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is not surprised when you find yourself surrounded by temptation. He's been there. He became a human who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is both our high priest, interceding for us before the Father, and he's our perfect sacrifice who understands the pain of being human in a broken world. That is why we can, like Eustace, lay in our backs in faith and trust God to remove the dragon skin. Not without pain, but it leads to glorious healing and freedom. It leads to rest. Lewis narrates after Eustace's transformation. He says, It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. Can you relate to Eustace? I certainly can. reminds me of one of my favorite phrases to hold the tension of the Christian life together on this side of glory. We have the now and the not yet. Now, Jesus is our help in time of need. God cares about our current struggles and anxieties. His answer is not just deal with it until Christ returns, but come to me with confidence and receive mercy and grace, come to me and I will give you rest. Through Christ, that's a present reality. We also live in the not yet. We live in a broken world. 
We are not yet free from our ability to sin. We are not yet in that future and perfect kingdom where we will be with the Lord in true, eternal, uninhibited, all-encompassing rest. It's in this present reality, and because of my future hope, that I can say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And along with Peter, I can say, where else can I go? You have the words of life. I believe, and I know that you are the Holy One of God. Praise the Lord that he hears us and helps us. As we confess our belief in him, he brings us lasting rest that nothing in this world can give. There is no other rest. God offers you an invitation to true rest. Do you accept it? Do you believe it? God promises rest to those who believe through Jesus, our great high priest. God keeps his word so we can believe and enter that rest. God's word is alive and exposes our need. Our need for Jesus, our great high priest, who is our only hope to enter God's rest. I made a Spotify playlist this past week called Hebrews 4. Added some different songs on there. Um, that reminded me of, of themes from the chapter and, um, and honestly songs that I needed to hear. Um, a current favorite, probably an all-time favorite, Audrey Assad sings a song called Restless. And it includes a quote from um, Augustine who says, thou hast, made, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Now, Audrey Assad's song takes it a little more into modern vernacular. Um, she sings over and over again, I'm restless until I rest in you. And it feels so good to, to sing that prayer to God, to, um, to allow yourself, myself, to be naked and exposed before him, for him to see what's going on in my heart, to peel back the dragon skin, peel back the scales, to bring healing and rest. Because of faith in Jesus. Because of Christ's finished work, that's what I can rest in. My prayer for you this week, going forward, is that that would be true for you. I know many of us in this room know and love Jesus, that we desire to, to walk in obedience um, and that we also need that daily reminder. Um, so I'm going to invite you to uh, remind yourself of God's truth, be in the word, and surround yourself with others that can help remind you as well. Um, we, need, we need that, um, even when it's hard to hear sometimes.
Let's pray. Father, thank you that your promised rest um, is not something of the past, but is uh, a present reality and our future hope, God. Um, Father, I pray that you would be, be drawing us to yourself um, as, you, as you work in our hearts to delight in obedience, um, to turn from disobedience, God, um, Lord, that we would not um, sit in condemnation that does not belong to us, Lord. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Um, by your grace, God, there is correction. And so, Father, I pray that we would, we would see those things rightly. Um, yeah, Father, would you be growing uh, a delight and a desire in our hearts to seek you first, to come to you boldly needy, that we can draw near with confidence, Father, and that we can be met with mercy and grace in our time of need. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.